Hello and welcome back everyone to another episode of Ventian Energy's Climate of Change podcast. This is A Day in the Life where we talk to employees from across Ventian to find out a little bit more about them and their role, getting an insight into what they do and how they got to where they are today. We'll find out what they get up to on a day-to-day basis and what it really means to be part of the Ventian team. I'm Nikki Warby and I'll be your host for today and joining me is Chris Lawrence. Chris is the Information Security Manager at Ventian, having now been here for two years. With a varied and interesting journey into this role, this sure will make for a great conversation. Keeping the company safe from cybercrime is top of Chris's agenda and with technology constantly developing, how do companies keep up and stay secure? We also hear a lot in the media these days about cyber attacks, but how do companies like Ventian avoid them? What do you need to do if a career in information security appeals to you? And also, what is a sandbox? Keep listening for the answers to all these questions and more. Hi Chris, welcome to today's episode. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? Good, thanks for having me. No problems at all. So Chris, we're here to talk to you today um, about your job role as Information Security Manager here at Ventian. So should we get straight into it? Let's go. Okay, so tell me then, um, because it's quite an interesting job title, tell me a little bit more about what is it you actually do? Uh, Good question. Um, <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good title. It's a good job. Um, if, if you're someone like me who's a bit of a geek, then you'll, you'll love it. We have a, a security operations centre where we keep an eye on all of our systems. We make sure that we have no events, no alerts. Um, you know, in case something happens or something suspicious it looks like it's happening on the network. I, my, my job is to essentially monitor that and investigate that. Um, so that's the kind of day-to-day reactive side of, of kind of information security. But there's the other side of it, which is the kind of proactive side of it, keeping it, keeping up to date with what's happening in the world, such as um, the massive cyber attacks in the US or things that are happening in Eastern Europe with regards to the conflict. Need to know what's happening and how that's happening. So need to stay up to date. So a good example of that is with the increase um, and cyber attacks against critical national infrastructure due to what's happening in Eastern Europe. There's been, I think it's, I'm probably going to get this statistic wrong, but it's like 200% more since before the conflict. Wow. Um, and the reason for that is quite simple. That we used to import large quantities of oil and gas from Russia. That's now been cut off. Russian economy is affected. So what they do is they launch cyber attacks against our critical national infrastructure, wind, energy and solar and then that creates a potential need for us to import more gas decreasing the the pressure on the russian economy so we we see a massive increase since that happened and what we need to do is see how see what techniques are used what how they launch these attacks see how that happens in, in the real world and then apply that to our network to see if there's any chance that those same attacks will be successful against us so we've got to be quite proactive in that case. That's really interesting. So there's a couple of sides to what you do then. And I suppose the fact that you get to investigate and research these different things as well is quite an integral part of your job. So how do you go about doing that research? What sort of things do you keep an eye on? So being a bit of a geek, you're probably up to date with these things already by just by nature of what you enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, we, we have partners 
who their job is to keep up to this, keep up to date with this stuff, and then reach out to us and let us know what's happening. But also, you get news emails from from vendors and such as well. A good example: um, a few weeks ago, we had some interns come into the office to learn cybersecurity. They they go to college, so they're they're, they're smarter than the average person because they are studying it. But one of the things I did was have them go and find a test case, go find a hack. I want you to tell me how it was done, what impact it had, and then how would you stop that from happening? So they went away and done that, and then we had them create courses around us. So as you you probably see my emails, which are, you've got your training course this month, we've now changed those to be case-based. So we're finding examples of real hacks, how they were done, and then we're going to teach the, the staff here how to spot that and how to, what they can do in their specific job and how what impact that would have on not just them, but the whole company. So the good example of that was Uber. Right, yeah, because that was quite a recent one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, oh. they, they were breached using the most simplest method and the person at the end of it ended up with every password to every system that Uber owned. Oh, my god! And Uber were extremely fortunate that the individual just said, pay your pay your drivers, and then done no more damage. But if the person had malicious intent, he could have brought the company to its knees. And this was all because an end user was getting pop-ups saying, do you approve this on his phone? And rather than dealing with it, just eventually hit approve. Hit approve, yeah. Oh, my gosh, it's so easily done, isn't it? Yeah, so trying to teach not just our end users, obviously those interns as well, and what something as small as that can have on the entire organisation. So that's... Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a geek, so I would talk on that all day, but yeah. that's you've got to do that in your job as well. No, absolutely, and that's that's really interesting because you you are then, you're teaching the younger generations about the importance of this, because as we've mentioned, we see this in the media, we're, we're seeing a, a rise in security attacks on businesses, and it's it's especially prevalent in our, our industry as well at the moment, like you've mentioned. So having those kids in and having those students here and teaching them about it, I bet that was quite enjoyable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Besides, someone actually listens to me, so it's great. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's... it's. So when I first got into security, I, I was working at a government agency, and there was no money, there was no interest, and there was nothing pushing it. Yeah. So it was just, it was a, we have security, but it's an afterthought. But now you see the, the amount of attention it gets. So there's, there's more funds available. People take it more serious. People actually listen to what you say. Um, so it's um, the difference between 10, 12, 13 years ago when I first started this to now, it's night and day. It's like a completely different field. When I first started as well, there was no college courses. These are brand new things, two, three years old. So when we were learning, we were learning off the cuff um, or relying on other people who were senior or had experience in IT to give you some advice. And there was very little courses available. Now, hundreds of courses. Everywhere you look, you can get a course. Um, so, yeah, it's good to, to be teaching. But one of the things I was telling the interns was we were looking at the, the stats for available jobs. There is more than half a million security jobs in Europe and more than that in North America available, unfilled, due to a lack of skills. So I was telling them that their careers look very promising. Yeah, they're wide <clears> open, <throat> I guess. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, you've got the opportunities now, as long as they get the 
sort of the correct education and training, um, there is opportunity out there. So, I mean, that brings me sort of onto one of my questions. So I might as well just dive in with it now. So your career path to here, I mean, I love, this is one thing I love about interviewing people on this, <laughs> is your career path actually, when I looked at it, was quite interesting. Uh-oh. So it wasn't, um, you're not on your own in this. Mine was very similar. Not similar job roles, but similar in the sense of it's very diverse. You started off as a carpenter. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, left school. But obviously, I had jobs in school as well. Yeah. It was car valeting and whatever else you could do. Uh, but then, yeah, I got, my, I got an apprenticeship in joinery. But not just joinery, carpentry. We were build bespoke furniture. Um, so it was like... I don't know if you did craft and design at school. A little bit, yeah. So what we did is we got to draw, design, and then build. Uh, and there's a there's a sense of achievement there when you can say, you know, that started out as a piece of paper and a scrap of wood, but is now, a, you know, a TV unit. So one of the things we that I first started with was we used to go to these homes in the north of England for, for children, and you would build bespoke TV units where all their videos and DVDs could go, but they were built right into the walls. Um and they had to be built in a way that they could be locked. So that was great. And I'd done that for two years, I think. Um, and then I, 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 the, so I had a bit of an injury to my back. And I was bedbound for a while and I couldn't really do anything. Um, so the decision was kind of made that you, you can't do manual labour anymore. You have to step away from that. You need to do something a bit more, you know, technical. Um, and at the time... I was already a bit of a tinkerer. Yeah. So when I was young, I used to take my computer apart, put it back together. It still worked. It rattled. Yeah. But it worked. <laughs> so it's uh, always interested you then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and from that, um, doing some some basic hacking, nothing special, um, <laughs> but some, some basic stuff, just not, not for any other reason rather than curiosity. Nowadays, there's a word for it called grey hat hacking, which is... You're doing something malicious, but for the right reason. You're not trying to hurt anybody. You're trying to learn. Trying to learn. Yeah, okay. Okay. Because um, everyone hears hacking and they automatically go, oh, my gosh. Yes. Like we were just talking about earlier, like with the um, with the way of the world at the moment and people with malicious intent hacking into systems. But it's not that sort of... No, not been, you, you, you can, but, you know, you, it's, it's not worth it, to no. be honest. Um, and that's why we see the rise of ransomware, because it now becomes worth it. Yeah, um, okay. So... But yeah, I started, I got myself into, um, had to get some office experience, so I had to go work in call centres. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. I, again, I noticed customer <coughs> service, sales, that sort of industry as well, again, seems very, very different. Yeah, um, I was really good at sales. I can imagine that. <laughs> I can imagine that, Chris. Uh, re- really good at sales and, and accelerated really quick to the point where I was training people. Um because I would spot things like you don't give the person an out. You don't, you don't give them an option. You, you, you use presumptuous language. Yeah. You don't use open language. You use closed language and you try to explain it. So I've done okay there. Um, but really what I was trying to do was get that office experience. So basically got myself in a position where I moved into kind of management, kind of senior. Uh, and I got a, an opportunity to move into IT. It wasn't my dream job, but it was the door was open and I, and I took it. Um, and it was a... A good and bad decision at the time. It got me the job I wanted, but with a massive wage drop. I mean, I mean massive, about 50%. Wow, okay. So, 
as you can imagine, that puts stresses on your life in other other ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but got got my experience, worked through IT. Um, we were short-staffed and our security team needed help. And I was more than happy to help them, having an interest and created a good relationship with the guys. And they just asked me if I'd like to apply to be their junior. And then it was just a matter of studying. So I had to do a lot of studying and do a lot of work. And it was it was good in the sense that there was only three of us and we had no specialists. So everybody had to do everything. So I had to get my fingers dirty and learn a bit of everything at the same time, you know, Jack of, Jack of um, all it? trades. Yeah, Jack of all trades. Yeah, yeah. master of none. That's, no, that, yeah. so that, so, that's the full thing. Nobody yeah. ever says the last one. <laughs> I would admit it. Uh, but yeah, it was so we we do that and then learned uh, a lot. Uh, but we're in this very fortunate position that we were essentially told that we need to get the company certified, or the company could lose contracts. So the the purse strings became loosened. We were given the ability to buy the technologies we wanted. We got to play with the technologies that we wanted to play with. As geeks, that's the best thing. <laughs> Anyone in IT will tell you that. And uh, we, we, we did it. Within the, the four or five years, we, we got certified and um, everything was looking good. Uh, and that was about the right time for, 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 for me to move on and get into the, the real world. Yeah. Um, so that was my foot in the door. That's amazing. What a story. <laughs> so, so you ended up, in IT security, so I take you had to do a few other courses, you had to do some research on this, because as you mentioned earlier, it, it wasn't perhaps so known about or worried about, I guess. Um, yeah, both. Um, I was I was sent on a course, which I failed. <laughs> uh, so, Again, Chris, you didn't need to say that. <laughs> no, no. I, I think I think the failure is probably the best thing that happened because it. I, I I went into it with a level of I've been doing this for for a few years now. I don't need to study this. I do this, uh, uh, and failed. Uh, that was the wake up call where you start to actually study and realise that, yeah, you, you, some of my assumptions were wrong. Uh, and I got my first certification. I passed it with distinction because I got 98%, so that was good. And then I'd done a lot of small courses, and then I'd done the big main courses again, the CISSP, CISM, CISA, the whole series. Um, and now I'm, I think I'm sitting on about 25 um, certificates or something. So, And I've passed that on to my own children, who some of them are interested in cybersecurity, and they've done coursework as well. Wow, now. okay. Um, do they need to be renewed, or is that something? Do they last a long time? Or? Some of them need to be renewed. Some of them have lapsed um, because I'm like, I don't need that anymore. That's yeah. not relevant to what I do. There is one or two that I probably should go back and redo, but I do get if you complete enough courses, you get things. I think they're called CPEs or CPUs, and if you get enough points per year, then you don't have to renew it because it shows you're still doing advanced lear learning over the over that time period. But there's a few that I, there's one or two that I would like to redo um, because of they're like a new version. I yeah. done version three, they're on version four. So yeah, it's uh, there's no rest for the wicked. Yeah, and I suppose it's similar to other roles as well, like some of the engineers and that they're constantly updating their qualifications to make it relevant for the market at the of time, course. for sure. So then with your role, I mean, it sounds very varied and obviously there's a lot to it. So what's your favourite thing about your role? Like, what's what's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, 
breakfast. Breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, do you get breakfast at the office? Because I need to work in this office if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, to, to be to be fair, it's I just I, so when I was doing the joinery, as I say, there's a, there's a there's a certain level of job satisfaction, and I loved my job. I, I loved building things, and I still do it in my spare time now. I still build things and tinker. Uh, working in call centres, which were, for lack of a better word, brutal. Oh yes. So, oh yes, I've been there on that one. Yeah, you're yeah. just you're just going through the motions. You're just working. You, you you there's no happiness. You're just paying a salary. When I got back into IT after all those years, or got into IT the first time, sorry, after all those years, I started to enjoy the job again. And then when I got into security, it was the first time I felt that job satisfaction you got from being a carpenter, where you see a job from start to finish. You don't get that in IT. You don't get a start to finish. It never ends. But I love my job. So that's what makes it easier to wake up. Yeah, I think that's really important. You've got to be loving what you do. And I think the fact that you're constantly learning every day and things are... It's a cliche to say, isn't it, that everyone says, oh, it's different every day. But actually, I think in your position, it, it really can be different every day. Yeah. Um, and obviously, with your previous job roles, just taking a step back to that again... So you're a carpenter, you went into sales, and then you worked your way into IT and then into IT security. So the carpentry skills, and I'm not necessarily talking about the actual hands-on work that you did, but there must have been some sort of transferable skills, like between the carpentry and the customer service side of things. So relationship building, maybe, maybe that sort of, some of these skills transferred through. Yeah, yeah, I I would assume so. Um, So... Working in like building sites or workshops with lots very male, so you kind of rough and tumble. But you had to learn how to speak to people who run children homes and, and such like that. And, and then you, I suppose, when you move into customer service and training and such, that you you, you learn how to soften. It's how to soften. I suppose seeing projects end to end as well. Yeah. Because you're basically when you're a carpenter, like you said earlier, you're you're building something from scratch and you're seeing it through to the end. And it's the same in what you do now. It's that whole having that resilience and the motivation to keep going to the projects at the end as well. Yeah, and, and it's the planning, which if, I suppose it's probably a great way of putting it, is the the planning from the drawing stage. To, so if someone gives you the size of a room and it needs to go in this area of the room, you need to go and draw that and then build it to size and scale with the right materials. And you see that right through. So you plan from initial design till it's completely built. And I use that same kind of attitude to get myself into IT. I mean, how do you get into IT? I looked at job specs and what experiences you needed. And I thought, right, well, I'm going to have to start racking up these experiences to get myself a completely new career. Yeah. Um, so it was just about planning. And then when I got into IT, then I had to do it again. How do I get myself into what I want to do in cybersecurity? And started the same plan again. Definitely. Uh, and so, I mean, on that note then, I mean... There's probably going to be, hopefully, people listening to this that um, don't currently work for Ventian or in IT and they're thinking of possibly they're younger and they're thinking of going into this career or they may be slightly older. Do it. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) And thinking of a career change or something like that. What advice would you give these people from both ends of the spectrum? Do it. Um, You don't even need to be technical. So there's. Oh, that's interesting because you always you hear the words IT and you automatically go, 
Oh, no, no. I mean, for me, especially most mm-hmm. untechy person in the world. Yeah, you always have IT and you go, no, no, I can't do that. I can't. It's like my brain shuts off. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what happens with a lot of people. But ultimately, the you don't... So when I first started, there was junior security analyst, security analyst, senior security analyst, security manager. It was, it was that, that hierarchy. Yeah. But now there are so many jobs... It's right across the... There must be about 40 different roles within cybersecurity itself now that some of those aren't technical. Your governance roles were really about management. So as long as you can understand the principles of security, which is called CIA, which is done in a triangle, confidentiality, availability, and integrity. And that's the, if you take that rule and apply it to everything, then that will help. So you, when you've got inf- data, as long as you have data, if that's... The confidentiality of that data has to remain, but so does the availability for those who need to access it and the integrity that no one changes it. And you apply that right across the board. You don't need to be technical. As long as you understand that when someone asks you a question, then you can say, is this in place? Is that in place? So there's there's lots of jobs there that don't require you to be a geek, don't require you to be the person that wants to strip a computer. There's plenty available. And there's, there's no shortage of online companies that will provide you with training for free absolutely free and give you a certificate for it and some of them are basic so some of them are even just basics of it basics of it security and you get a little diploma which if nothing else looks good on your cv yeah absolutely i mean i know here at ventium we use linkedin learning yes um and we've got that platform and that's been invaluable for some of the different systems that i now have to use in this Mm -hmm. role and yeah that's been absolutely brilliant yeah so there's there's so many courses out there now. There's so much information available that literally anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. So it is a lot of self-development then and learning, especially um, if you're going to do the online courses. You did mention about getting a mentor. Is that something you did or is that something that you like you provide or anything like that? Um, I, I would provide it. I've, I've, I now have... Not only those three interns, but a bunch of other people that asked me for questions that aren't related to to venting. They just wanted help. I never had it, but and there's a big caveat there. At one point, while doing that big five year project, we had to we had to bring someone in with specialist key skills because, as I said, we never we weren't specialists. We were generalists, and we brought in this guy named Ramy. Um, Hope he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and he came in and he was he was Nigerian and he told me he was self-taught as well. And he started to tell me about all the mistakes he made and started to kind of help and guide me. Uh, and I only worked with the guy for about a year. And in that year, I learned far more than I should have uh, if, if it wasn't for him. And he told me, well, don't waste time doing this. If you do this, that's more important than that. That's That's good on your CV, but it's not good in real life. Uh, and he gave me some directions, uh, and I took that and took it to its natural conclusion, and I've now passed that on to, to others um, because I realise how, how important that was to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we've we've touched a little bit on the things that you enjoy and that you're, you, how you've got there and um, the things that get you out of bed in the morning, but um, what then are your biggest challenges? So... I mean, you get you get to work, and what what actually can sort of put a bit of a almost downer on your day, and you go, oh god. Um, it's, 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 it's a difficult one. I would say that two two or three things kind of stand out. One, some of the stuff is 
extremely technical. So you really need to dive into it and you will need to ask for help. And that includes me. I'll have to reach out to other guys and ask questions. And sometimes the guys don't have the answers. So you need to go and research it. And as I said, that is a big part of the job. But some of it is very, very dry. And it's, and it's not like, you know, there's a 10 pages. It's like 400 pages. So you're spending a lot of the time reading documents. And that's one of them. And it's not just technical, but you get governance and legal sides of it, which you need to do that as well. The other, th- the other thing that can sometimes get to you, and this, I'm, I'm not dropping a hint here. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, what are you going to say, Chris? <laughs> it's, it's, it's when you're chasing people for stuff. Ah, um, ah okay. <laughs> so, so whether it's like training materials or like, like you've not done your training yet or I need you to do this, um, you, you need to chase people. That can sometimes be Podcast a bit... Podcast topics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I'm sure you're doing the same thing. Yeah, but it's, it can... It, it, those are probably the, the biggest... Um, I wouldn't even say frustrations, I'd just say it's difficult, the amount of reading and the amount of chasing people. But I'm very fortunate in that position that that is not, that doesn't balance out. That's, that's very minuscule compared to the amount of stuff that I enjoy doing. And I'm, I'm guessing that sounds like then the positives definitely outweigh the, the slightly, it isn't not negatives, but the slightly mundane tasks that you may have to come up against. Yes, yes. But it's, it's there's so many there's so many different roles within cybersecurity now, whether it's just, oh, I'm an analyst who does a bit of everything, or I'm a malware specialist, or the person who likes to dissect the malware and see exactly how it works, or the person who does the pen testing and the hacking, the actual trying to breach firewalls. There's so much different things. It's, yeah, it's pretty cool. And you're seeing more of this where I have, so one of our partners um, who helps us with cybersecurity a lot of their employees are right out of college and some of them are still in college, not even fully certified, not even university, and they're in this job. Uh, and one of my sons is in the same position where the banks are approaching colleges trying to tap these people up to come and work for them before they even left because there's so many openings available in the market. So there's, it's, quite, it's quite an aggressive field where the employers are actively, aggressively chasing potential employees rather than the other way around. So that, that kind of shows you where it stands and how serious yeah, people shows, take it. There's that massive need, yeah, doesn't there, for, for these people at the moment to be Precisely. getting into these positions. So obviously you've had a very interesting um, journey <laughs> to where you are now. How do you see things in the future, not, not for yourself necessarily in a job role, but... Um, the, the general landscape of IT security and the different things that may happen, is, is there a little insight you can give us into the particular, the potential risks that might rear their heads that people are predicting? Um, AI is going to be the big thing, and I don't mean like Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're, we're seeing a, a massive rise uh, there. Um one of the things that I, I patterns I'm seeing is that people aren't actually hiring like a company like 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 us. We won't hire as many security analysts. We'd rather ship that out uh, and have an external party do that kind of grunt work. And and I'm we're seeing more of that. And the reason is is because of the field is so aggressive and the cost of analysts is so high that it's actually cheaper to to pay a, th- a company to give you a whole team of analysts than to hire one or two for yourself. Um, so that it seems like bringing in third parties is the kind of the way things are going just now. 
but with with more AI, I'm I'm sure that will help take over things a lot more. Like, uh, so I think that will have a bigger role uh, going forward, and I think using specialist security companies rather than in-house security is probably what we're going to see more of. So we'll see as, as the role develops more and more, there'll actually just be specialised units yeah. that, that do what you do at the moment yeah. um, for as, a, as more of a consultancy basis even and partnering. And so, so relating this back then <clears throat> to Ventian in particular, with regards to, you've just mentioned that hackers can log into people's devices. So your your role then is to protect our devices as the employees and ensure that those hackers aren't getting through. Yes. Um, from, Putting from, it very simply, by the yeah. way. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is for my own brain to try and like... <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's very simply put, but ultimately there's, there's two ways of looking at it. There's... So we have two kind of networks. One is the IT network. That's your email, your internet access, the usual day-to-day stuff. The other network is our OT network, which is operations. That's the wind turbines, the the solar panels, the energy generation network. We try and keep those off the internet as much as possible because it's critical national infrastructure. You really don't want someone getting access to that remotely. Um, so that's there's two ways of that's the the kind of the divide. Um, for the end users, the IT op, uh, operations are, although they're technical, they're, they're fairly simple and well understood and easy to, to do. As long as we get the fundamentals right, it makes things very, very difficult for malicious actors to hurt us. Just get the fundamentals right. In the other environment, it becomes extremely complex because you don't want to damage or, or stop these turbines. So it's one thing to say, oh, your email's down or we've lost access to a wind turbine. But if the turbine stops spinning, the company stops making money. That's when you have a problem. That's when energy stops getting generated and you then need to report to compliance or governance authorities to explain why. Um, so, And because those networks are so complicated, um, it makes the job 10 times worse. 10 times more difficult, probably. Not worse, difficult. <laughs> so that's a really critical, critical role that you're playing there because... And, and that, that's how you're feeding into the business and the strategy as a whole, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, so for example, our strategy is to do the basics right. Once we do that and build a foundation, we will then move on to the more advanced stuff, the stuff which is good to have but not necessary, uh, and then get our recognition from third parties, you know, so from the compliance agencies to step in and say, look, not only are you marking your own homework and saying you're good, this third party's coming in and saying you're good. Um, so that's essentially what we are we're aiming towards. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I mean, it always amazes me um, when I do these interviews. Is learning more about these people. And you mentioned that in your in your spare time, when especially when you were younger, and that you've always been, done things with your hands, with the carpentry, mm-hmm. of course. But um, you're quite into this world, I guess, the IT world in your spare time as well. So tell me a little bit about what you do there. It's strange because. Back in the day, I would be actively searching the internet, looking for stories and cool stories, cool, even cool hacks. People used to upload these things and you can take them and you don't have to actually do anything. And it, that's called being a script kiddie. You're not a hacker. Someone's giving you a hack and you're using it, right? So, yeah, I used to proactively look for things just to mess and break. Nowadays, 
yeah, I'm probably a bit more jaded with that and I don't proactively look for it, but I get alerts from certain groups, certain certain websites, and it tell you how to do things. Um, I don't... So I wouldn't go out my way to, to do anything anymore. I, I think I'm a bit old for that. But I will look to see how it's done. Because I suppose it helps you with your role as well then, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we have our partners who help us with cybersecurity and they also provide us with information on hacker forums. They're, they're actually on the same groups of hackers are at and they join in the conversations, obviously pretending to be hackers to gather that data, see how these hacks happen and then we'll go into our network and we'll see this is the methodology, this is the technology, this is the versions of that software that was used and then we just check to see if we have that and proactively hunt it. So I'd say that that's probably more what I do now than and doing the proactively looking to find cool hacks. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned it is fascinating, and I think I love I love the fact that you're you're so involved in this in your personal life as well. And you were talking earlier about how people come to you with questions. Yes. So what what sort of questions do you get from people? Okay, it could be anything from this computer's not working uh, to I uh, I think my bank card was cloned or. Um, how do I safely use my laptop on holiday? That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. So if I came to you and I said, Chris, I'm going on holiday to, I don't know, let's pick somewhere, Switzerland, for example. Um, I'm going on holiday to Switzerland. I know it's probably not that much of a sketchy place or anything. Um, but how do I safely, how do I safeguard the company because I need to take my work laptop mm-hmm. um, and my own personal data while I'm on holiday? Yeah, okay. Uh it's actually it's surprisingly simple. So, quick quick sidebar, a cafe or an airport, <clears throat> any of those places have Wi-Fi. Now, they just buy cheap Wi-Fi so they can provide their customers with internet access. Even though it's very basic, it's still so they can say, there's the free Wi-Fi. Now, if you take your phone just now uh, and you can share your internet with me, tethering it. So I could sit in a cafe and change my phone's name to Starbucks free Wi-Fi. And then what happens is you would then be looking for the cafe's Wi-Fi and sign into my phone. So basically everything you're doing is going th- rooting through my phone so I can do what I want now. So the key is never trust any open Wi-Fi, any at all. In fact, that goes far as to say is turn your Wi-Fi off on your phone because if your phone's constantly looking for Wi-Fi, not only is it draining your battery, if it finds a free connection, it will automatically connect to it, even if you're just walking past me in the street. Oh, my goodness. Right? So, if you are going to Switzerland, if you're going to Iraq, Afghanistan, Russia, China, North Korea, if you were to take your own mobile phone and connect your laptop to that, that is safer than anything else. Okay. Do you know what that's... Yeah, that, I mean, to be fair, that is... In my defence, what I do tend to do with my laptop <laughs> is um, is connect it to my mobile. That's the best way. Um, to do. But yeah, I didn't even consider that with my personal phone. I've yeah. never considered that. Yeah. So there used to be sc- uh, a kind of scam back in the day that people used to do with like a Nintendo DS because people would leave the Bluetooth on and your DS could then hack people's phones. So walking about a shopping centre, kidding on you're playing a Nintendo DS, you could you could access people's information on their phones. Things have changed. It's not so easy to do anymore. But disabling your Bluetooth when you're not using it and turning off your Wi-Fi so it's not constantly searching won't just save your battery. It will 
probably save your I'm, day as well. I'm literally going to turn my Wi-Fi off right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the office, so I'm sure it's safe, but just so I don't forget later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many. It's, it's almost like... So, have you... You, you've paid. You've used your card contactless as well. So this is a, it's a similar example. Yeah. When you walk up and you can just beep up to a hundred pounds. Now, see if I was to get a cash terminal, um, you can walk past people and just kind of wave it and charge them ten pounds for nothing. And you could walk up and down a city high street or a shopping centre and just start billing everybody ten pounds each. And most people won't even notice. Um, and people. Not only I'm, I'm giving you kind of basic concepts, but what you can you can actually just take a Pringles tub, and poke a hole in the bottom, rip the lid off it, put it on the end of the credit card machine, and extend its range by about three meters. So I could sit on a bench, pointing at people, and charging them ten pounds on their credit cards. We're not suggesting anybody does this, by the way. <laughs> yes, we do not condone this. Just I, as a disclaimer, this is not a um, <laughs> example of how to steal people's money. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to use broad strokes to explain no, no, how no. just walking about unprotected without with your mobile phone or with an unguarded bank card, people can do some amount of damage. So my recommendation is you close your Wi-Fi, you turn off your Bluetooth, and if you can, you use an RFID wallet of some sort. I've got one that basically means... People can't do that, but you get wallets and purses and stuff that you can keep your cards in it, keep them safe. Yeah. My recommendation is you close your Wi-Fi, you turn off your Bluetooth, and if you can, you use an RFID wallet of some sort. Yeah. Do you know what? Interesting. I had something like that happen to me the other day. I was going to pick up something um, from a food store, and their terminal must have just been uber sensitive. And I opened my phone to pay via my wallet on, that's yeah. built into the device. And um, before I'd had chance to select the card I wanted to pay from, it had taken the money. Oh, wow. And I was literally, I'd say, about eight inches away from the actual device itself. Wow. And she was like, oh, sorry, yeah, it's just really sensitive. And I was just like, well, it's a good job. I had, I've got, I had funds in two of the accounts, yeah. so it didn't matter. But I, from what you've just said now, gosh, that is, that's Yeah, really and, and your phone's sure. another good example because using your phone is safer. For that, in the sense that you need to turn on the app before you can scan. So it gives you that extra layer of security. And, and that's one of the, the kind of fundamental principles of security is security in depth. You can't just say, I've got a firewall, I'm secure. You need to have multiple layers because people will get through some layers. But it's about what they have access to or how it blocks them. So that kind of defence in depth um, helps. So when you've got a mobile phone... That's a good example. And I suppose at Ventian in particular, that's the type of thing then you've implemented to make sure we've got those different levels and that depth of security, not just for financial transactions, but so these attackers can't get in as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you use a thing called um, least privilege. It's called least privilege. So if someone doesn't need access to something, they don't get access to it. And if they, that basically means if your account was compromised it's not the equivalent of having the keys to the kingdom. It, you're, you're restricting that access. And if for some reason you started to kind of go places where you don't normally go, we have set up policies that will detect that and a bit unfamiliar activity here. Um, so we, we see a, we do see a lot of that. Most of it's 99.9% .9 of it is legitimate. It's just it's something they don't normally do. But we, we create those rules to spot these things. A good example is when people go on holiday, and I'm guilty of this, and they take their work laptop, which you probably shouldn't do. HR probably not happy with you working <laughs> while you're on vacation. Uh, and then you sign in. And you sign in from 
try to think of a country to be. Brazil, you know, it's, it's not a dangerous country in the sense that they're, they're an enemy to, to our country, but um, it's not a place where venting operates. So that's flagged as unusual. And then I would have to reach out and say, eh, are you uh, by any chance in Brazil? Mm. And they went, yeah, I'm in Brazil. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. You're actually there. But if, yeah. if, if you'd have got that, I suppose, is it the IP address? IP address, yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, I do know something. Getting I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> No, this has been brilliant. This has been absolutely brilliant, Chris. I mean, I am going to actually um, ask you one more question mm-hmm. before I go. Um, and it's a, I'm going to start that sentence. It's probably a stupid question, but one I always <laughs> need to know. What is a sandbox? Ah, so a, a sandbox is like a, a kind of fake computer. So it's not something that you have in the garden as a child <laughs> that you build sandcastles in? No, but I would, okay. that, would, that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have one in here that's it's online. So what happens is, let's just say you've got a file, you're unsure about it. Uh, I take that file and I will send it to the sandbox and then I'll open the file. Or what we use is detonate when we hit the button. And then we stand back and we see what happens. Now, in the real world, you would sit there for hours, hours, hours to see because some of these things are done on time delays. Um, but in a sandbox, you can speed time up. So you can go... Make 24 it's like hours. an alternate universe. Yeah. <laughs> Our own little quantum bubble. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can just say 24 hours in the space of 10 minutes and you can detonate that and then you see the screen that the end user will see and nothing's happening, but you have another screen that's showing you what's happening in the back end and you can see it's trying to make connections to lots of servers in lots of different countries. You're like, oh, well, what's it doing? Oh, it's changing some of your, your registry keys. It's changing some of your, oh, it's copying some data. But on the actual screen, you're seeing what the end user sees, which is nothing's happening. But you can see what's happening in the back. So a sandbox lets you do that safely where it can't spread across your network. It's contained within a false world. That's so interesting. I'm so glad you've cleared that for me as well. Hopefully that's <laughs> that's cleared that question up for quite a few people. I mean, I keep seeing the word sandbox and I'm like, I'm sure it doesn't mean what I think it means. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's been brilliant. And honestly, Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I mean... I've learned so much and Thanks. I'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this conversation as well. And you've been, you've been a fun and it's, I knew this would be a great conversation anyway. So my reputation <laughs> precedes me. <laughs> but thank you so, so much. No, nah, not a problem. Thanks for having us. Hopefully we do this again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Day in the Life. What a fascinating role Chris has at Bentian. You can really hear how passionate Chris is about his job and the part he plays in keeping the business safe from cybercrime. This is a fast-paced area of the business and Chris demonstrated that the development of technologies such as AI and the evolution of hacking techniques can really pose a threat to a company's security. But with the right skill set and the commitment to learning new skills, the possibility of an attack can be substantially reduced or avoided completely. I'm sure you will agree that navigating this complex area is, while being challenging, is also very, very rewarding. If you're interested in hearing more about this role or any of our other roles, or you just want to hear more about Ventian in general, then please do get in touch. All our contact details can be found on our website, or alternatively, you can reach us via LinkedIn, Twitter, or pop something in the comments. And don't forget, if you've enjoyed listening, you can like, subscribe, And please, please do share this with everyone you know. I've been Nikki Warby and thanks again for listening.